I'm B. And I'm B. And, and this, this is Homestead Happenings. Happenings. Where every week we bring you along on our journey to self-sufficiency. And bring you exclusive interviews on all things Homestead from people around the world. So hit subscribe and follow along with us. Let's learn. Let's grow. Let's go. I'm V, and today we are here with a special guest who a lot of people, especially my gardeners, they're getting buzzing right now, and it is Dr. Elaine Ingham, and she is going to be talking to us all things soil. She <clears throat> will be going over the soil food web. If you follow us on any of our social media, I have talked about this extensively, and when I'm talking about being natural and natural over organic even and these kind of things and people are looking at me like, yeah, 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 you will understand by the end of this what I am talking about, what I mean, where you can go for further education and how you can be a soil scientist yourself. So on that, uh, thank you so much for being with us today. And I would love if you'd tell us about uh, you and your background and all that. <laughs> Okay. Um, I'm a Minnesota girl, um, born and raised in Minnesota. My father was uh, head of the Department of Pharmacology and Physiology in the veterinary school. And so he would take me out on farm all the time with him. Uh, so I might as well have been born and bred on a farm because I saw a lot of different farms. And with my dad there to explain what was going on with the animals, um, it was it tied together for me pretty well. Uh, so I've been outdoors and, and uh, worked on in all kinds of places. Uh, when I started uh, college, I was pre-med just because everybody assumed that if you're smart, you would go be a, a, you would go be a, a doctor. And <laughs> <Yep>. um, I, <laughs> yeah, and I worked in the heart hospital at uh, the University of Minnesota's um, um, uh, Pampas, and I discovered that I just I really didn't like the people who were were doctors. They were um, greedy. They didn't really care about human beings, at least the ones I got introduced to. So I decided that I I really did not want to go to medical school. So I applied to Texas A and M, where I could work on marine microbiology, and it just so happens that the person I liked best on the planet, my husband, uh, <laughs> was going to Texas A&M too. Gee, I wonder if there was a, a little bit of overlap there. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I got to Texas A&M and I worked in marine microbiology. And the, the test I, what I was really interested in was trying to understand why these um, oysters weren't growing where they had always been growing before, what was going on, and determined that it was the loss of a specific microorganism in their digestive system that made them not be able to grow and thus eventually die. Wow. Well, what do you do? Yeah, what do you do about um, that kind of situation? Well, so we grew the bacterium. Um, put it in the oyster beds, and the oysters all started growing. It was great. Wow. First time got, getting the oysters to grow with this new product. Only we came back in about 7 to 14 days, and all the oysters were not growing. They were not doing well. 
So, you know, we applied another application of the bacteria, but you just couldn't keep up. Um, you know, you had to keep adding more and more. And why would those organisms that had always survived before, how come they're not surviving now? And so we followed uh, back all of the kind of chemicals in, in the water, pH, too hot, too cold, what was going on. And every single time that the um, Navy had a ship that they pulled up out of the water and then applied all of those really strong, nasty compounds to kill all the barnacles and such on the ship's bottom, when that floated out into Galveston Bay, it killed the bacterium and therefore killed the oysters. And when you start thinking about... Okay, if I buy an oyster, is that oyster um, good to eat or is it chock full of um, toxic materials? And so, you know, it was kind of the, that first thought about uh, you are what you eat. And if you're applying toxic chemicals to your food, you're ingesting some of that food and uh, the toxin right along with it. So what, that, what does that do to your health? Why, why are all of our digestive systems just tied in knots most of the time? Well, I think you can probably figure out the answer. Um, yeah. What are you eating? <laughs> and if you're applying toxic chemicals um, to your food, how can it not be affecting you? So we need to have a way to grow our plants just as good, if not better, um, using more natural approaches. So when I moved on to um, Colorado State University, uh, uh, my husband and I had, a, had an agreement that the two of us would go to the place where both of us were offered teaching re, um, uh, uh, positions. And so that was the only university that did give both of us teaching positions. And I started working on the soil food web. We didn't call it the soil food web then because it was, uh, you know, just kind of a fun and interesting thing to do to um, look at these kinds of organisms in the soil. When I started my PhD work at Colorado State University, um, my major professor said, you need to go around to all the people in the school, in the college, in the university that work on soil. So I... Okay, I'll do that. My major professor, Don Klein, um, had uh, determined that I, I, what was really interesting to me was how do you know that these microorganisms are um, affecting the plant? Um, what's the relationship? What is the, how does the benefit play out? Uh, what exactly are these organisms doing in the soil? Because there didn't seem to be much understanding of exactly what these organisms were doing in the soil. So let's find out if um, all of these professors at the university thought it was worthwhile for me to be looking at um, different ways of assessing activity and biology and uh, nutrient cycling sorts of things, uh, whether it was a worthwhile thing for me to be doing. And to a man, and trust me, it was all men, that was back in 19... 71 that I was doing my uh, my work or you know in that time period and um, every single one of them said no no you don't want to be 
looking at that for a, a PhD project. Um, <clears throat> these organisms don't do anything in the soil, so you're going to have a dull, boring uh, research project, and you know you'll be so embarrassed you won't be able to get any jobs because the organisms in the soil are just there. Mother Nature just they're there. Don't worry about them. They come back instantaneously overnight when they've been killed off. Not kind of are these people crazy or something? These organisms have been on this planet for the last, oh, you know, three and a half billion years. Mother Nature's not going to allow them to stay here if they don't do anything. If they're just having, you know, I don't know. Um, just you know, hanging uh, out. <laughs> just hanging out, having a good time with the boys, you know. Uh, so I went ahead with my project and showed very clearly that when you have bacteria growing in your soil, the plant will put out exudates to tell that bacterium what enzymes to make in order that those enzymes will pull the nutrients off the, um, the, the, uh, the bilayers of the sand, the silt, the clays, the rocks, the pebbles, the all of those um, inorganic materials are perfect sources for the bacteria to make these enzymes and pull those nutrients into the bacterium's um, body. Well, same thing with, with fungi, except fungi are a little more robust about it. Uh, they don't attack just one thing at a time the way bacteria do. They may attack five or six things at a time and use those enzymes to, again, pull those nutrients into the uh, fungal biomass uh, and keep hold of it just like this was a pantry for your plant. When the, pan, when the plant needs to have those nutrients, the signal goes out, the root feeding, or excuse me, not the root feeding, the bacterial feeding, the fungal feeding organisms um, that predators of bacteria like protozoa, they are all predators of bacteria. Um, the bacterial feeding nematodes, of course, what do they eat? Bacteria. Uh, fungal feeding nematodes, then of course eating fungi, and the microarthropods, the, um, uh, the, uh, all these different predators eating the bacteria and fungi, chowing down on them. And when the bacteria and fungi are eaten by their predators, the concentration of nutrients inside the bacteria or the fungus is way too high for the predator. So the predator goes, I'm choking on too much nitrogen, too much phosphorus, too much, all of these nutrients. What am I supposed to do with them? Well, they just poop them out, which is why often you'll find this called the poop loop, because it's the waste material coming out from the predators that's releasing plant-available nutrients right in the region of the root system. The plant can instantly take up what it needs, and then it will put out some more exudates. And then, you know, now another demand goes out from the plant. I need these nutrients instead of those nutrients. So now go out there and, and find them for me. Predators, pay attention. I want you to chow down on some of these bacteria and fungi so that um, the plant is getting all of the nutrients it needs. So your plant will never be limited in its growth by a lack of any nutrient. Well, you know, 
where do these plants, where do, where do the organisms find other foods? Do, are there other sources? Well, absolutely. Um, a lot of these microorganisms will decompose the plant litter, the leftover residues that are sitting on the surface of your soil in the fall once you harvest. Um, all those residues on the soil surface, if you don't have the right biology in the soil, all of those residues will just sit there and look at you until some disease-causing organism comes in and takes over. If you don't have the organisms that you require, then it's an open door for all the diseases and pests and problem organisms to, you know, play havoc with your production. So clearly you don't want that happening. So you want to make certain that um, the plant is getting all the nutrients that it needs because then the plant can signal its own um, system, its own, uh, you know, uh, where they're preventing de diseases from being able to attack and destroy your plant. If you don't have the right biology in the soil, your plant can't do that. A, your plant's going to be sick and unhealthy and easy to attack when it doesn't have enough ad uh, nutrients uh, in its bodies to perhaps even produce seed, to grow very tall, to produce roots. might not be possible. So we want to make certain that you've got all of the bacteria and the fungi, the protozoa and the nematodes and the microarthropods and the earthworms and the incotreids and everybody that's supposed to be present so that those nutrients can be given to your plant and your plant will instantly have the nutrients that it requires. If you get the biology where, to where it needs to be, and okay, where's... Where is that? How do you know what that is? But what we've found over and over again is that you have to have at least 3% organic matter in your soil or higher in order to grow these organisms that are going to cycle nutrients at the rate your plant requires so it can go big and strong and produce massive quantities of whatever you're harvesting that plant for. We want to make certain that the immune system of the plant is triggered, that it's turned on. And there is no way that those diseases and pests and problem organisms can um, cause problems. So, you know, starting with that, those things, these interactions, starting to look at other things going on in the soil. And what we discovered was that um, if we put the right kinds of nutrients out, so for example, we want to make certain that more NH4 is released into your soil as compared to NO3. And so how, who is it that controls those relative levels of these two common forms of nitrogen? If you've got too much nitrate, you are selecting in the soil for the, um, for the bacteria to grow. And bacteria typically, um, under those conditions, will produce alkaline materials, and that's the perfect pH for the weeds to take advantage because all of the nitrogen is going to be turned into nitrate under those conditions. Hello, weeds. How are you going to get rid of those weeds? 
if you till the soil, you slice and dice and crush and destroy all of those organisms that you've been working so hard to do all, all your work for you. If we get all these organisms into the soil, that means you don't have to put on inorganic fertilizers. You don't have to be putting on uh, herbicides to get rid of the weeds. You're not going to have problems with uh, different above ground or root system pests and diseases. They're, they can't happen because Mother Nature designed these systems to work this way. Stop working so hard. You should be out sitting on your front porch going, <coughs> yep, come on, little bug, you know, little bacterium fungi, we need more of you over here. Um, how do we get more of you over here? We're going to make some compost. We're going to make materials, um, put them together properly, make certain the conditions are only conducive to the growth of the beneficial organisms and not any of the bad guys. So got to get those organisms back into the system. There's a whole um, herd of different um, benefits that your plant can get. I've picked out just uh, you know like three of the most important. Another really important one is if um, you get the right microorganisms in the soil, they will build structure. So the root systems of your plants can go down and not be forced to go sideways and start competing with all of their neighbors. They're all fighting if you've got compaction in your soil. You can't allow this to happen. So how do you get rid of that compaction very fast? Well, you want to put the microorganisms. You might even have to inject them if you've got a real deep um, compaction layer in there. And, and we even counted compaction layers that started about three inches into the soil and were still in a strong play when we were at uh, 20, 25 feet into the soil. How do you deal with that? Well, you get the organisms, the whole food web, got to have them all. All of them have to be in there functioning, doing their thing. And so you uh, get them to build structure. Well, who exactly builds structure? Bacteria have a lot of glue on the outside of their, um, their bodies. And they will grab a sand molecule or a um, silt or a sand and start gluing it together. And then it sees as all the water moving by its home, it sees the nice organic matter going by and goes out there and grabs it, pulls it into the aggregate, the micro aggregate that it's building there. And so you might start out with one bacterium, but in a little bit, it's going to be 25 bacteria, and then it's going to be 50, and then it's going to be 2,000. And then, you know, so nice aggregates being built that allow oxygen and water and your roots to go down as deep as they need to go. When you're in a droughty kind of um, place, you know, the Great Plains of the United States, um, it usually gets really dry late in the growing season. Great for ripening things, but if everything's not ripe yet, um, you really don't want the plant to not have the water that it needs. So we make certain that the biology is building that structure. The bacteria are gluing things together and making the microaggregates. And then the fungus with the strands, fungi are strands of material, um, Pull all of pulls this 
micro aggregate into this micro aggregate and grabs one and pushes in and now you have a macro aggregate holds an immense amount of water well over 10 times its weight in water and you keep all that water right in your soil we have a example in australia where we were given a a, a grape a table grape um, uh, farm and told that if you can grow anything out here that's great but uh, don't come talking to us about we got to fill up the reservoir with water because we don't have any. We're in the middle of like a 25-year drought, and there just isn't any water to be had. And so we went out with the proper compost, putting uh, the compost in the water, light, uh, and not in the water, in the soil, and uh, mixing it lightly. You don't want to. You don't want to destroy the organisms. You don't want to be rough. You want to be gentle with them so that you're not slicing and dicing and crushing those organisms to death. And so we got the compost down. We put a layer of mulch on top. We started growing um, low um, ground cover so that the evaporation from the surface of that soil wasn't going to be um, sucking all the water out. We want to keep those nutrients. We made sure that the root systems and the compaction layer was right here at the surface of the soil. Um, when they gave us the, um, you know, carte blanche to uh, do this work. Um, and so we uh, made sure that the roots went down instead of sideways. We got the organisms to rebuild the structure. And we were the only grape, table grape growers in the whole of Australia that had any table grapes to, to, send, to sell to people. So the people we were working for were just... You know, they made lots of money because it was the only source of fairly inexpensive grapes. Everybody else had to import from outside of Australia. So it's really important to understand all of these mixes and all of the organisms. And at, at what point do you have to have how many of which because succession happens. I want to kind of take a step back and... Uh, and, and make certain that you all understand the difference between uh, soil and dirt. Very important. Dirt is a four-letter word starting with D. That's, well, maybe you don't want to grow anything. That's always possible. I don't know too many people <laughs> which that's true, but, you know, every once in a while. So now you know how to not have anything grow you grow it, you try to grow something in dirt. What is dirt, really, when we when we talk about it? Let's go back to the work by Hans Jenny, who is one of the fathers of soil science. And he put together a definition that dirt was just the mineral component, just the rocks, the material that the rocks were made up of, you know, boulders and parent material underlying everything. And in that rock hard material you can have microorganisms that grow on the outside if there's enough moisture if there's enough oxygen they'll grow on the surfaces of that material and one sand grain every 10 years will be released by the action of those bacteria or those fungi growing on the surface of those rocks so there is 
Now they're letting go of some of those um, mineral materials into the water, but they're not solubilized. They aren't bound by uh, water yet. You have to have a microorganism to do that kind of change for you. So you've got to have those organisms working on um, the rock just to get the sand, silt, clay built. Um, so you can't grow a plant on just sand, silt, clay, or it's very difficult. So when we talk about soil, that's what we use to grow plants. And soil is comprised of, yes, the mineral nutrients that we were just talking about. So we've got to have some of that going on. But it's all biologically driven. So you better have those organisms if you ever expect to get off your pesticides and inorganic fertilizers and reduce your costs. The other things we have to have is at least 3% organic matter in that soil in order to feed your organisms. You've got to have the bacteria and the fungi and the protozoa and the nematodes and the microarthropods and earthworms and incotraeids and all of those things to have really good production really have the plant be able to express its genetic potential. You don't need to be putting on inorganic fertilizers. You don't need the toxic chemicals. You don't have to be doing crazy stuff. Just have to make sure that you've put together your soil the same way Mother Nature puts it together. Also, back away from the expensive stuff. I know that you'll have a chemical salesman coming, talking to you, saying, oh, she's crazy, she don't know what she, she's talking about ridiculous, you know, the woman's nuts. Well, yeah, come to our website, soilfoodweb.com. And every month we put up more stories about people being highly successful using the biological approach. You have to get the biology in there. You talk to somebody who says, oh, I tried some of that uh, compost stuff, and I put it in the soil, and it killed my plants. Uh, that wasn't compost. That was nothing even close to compost. So I think I'll go off on that in that direction. As long as you've understood, grasped, that the soil is made up of the mineral, the rocks, the sandstone clays. You've also got to have organic matter to feed the organisms, and you need to have the organisms. Now, when you get the organisms into the soil correctly, and all the time the plant is getting everything it needs, it's getting all the water it needs by moving those root systems down to the um, place where the water is all held in those micro and macro aggregates, um, you, you don't really have much that you have to do or maybe just uh, keep an eye on that everything's going right. You know, you saw some disease over here. Um, maybe we need to take some soil samples and look at what that biology is in those soil samples because this isn't right. Um, Mother Nature she shouldn't be doing this. Well, those diseases and those pests are a message from Mother Nature telling you that there's something crazy wrong. There's, there's something out of balance in here. And you, you're going to have to find the solution before that disease takes over and wipes out all your benefits. So you got to keep your eyes open, but it just means 
taken a walk through your fields, which most of you do anyway. So you, know, you always want to see and make sure that everything's going on just fine out there. See a problem? You go fix it. And fix it while it's still just on the first plant or the, you know, hasn't spread far. Easy to deal with that. And we go through all of these kinds of things when you take the foundation courses with Soil Food Web um, School. And so uh, go, you know, www.soilfoodweb.school and have some fun reading some of the uh, things that we've done that we've put together. Let's see, what else did I want to talk about? There is a lot of stuff on the website. I love the website. I checked it out. I'm excited to be able to um, do the school. And actually, I'm very excited to do, um, do the foundations courses, but then the lab work. I'm very that that's really intriguing to me. I'm very excited about that. Um, so I encourage everyone listening to jump over and check that out. I will <clears throat> go ahead and ask a question now, so that way, if you feel like we should answer it now, or if you're going to get into it. So, <clears throat> like I briefly said at the beginning, we are in the uh, southern part of Missouri in the Ozarks. Everybody. And, and I mean everybody. <laughs> when you're about to move here or you say you're going to garden here, the first thing they'll tell you is, we grow rocks. Good luck. It's just <laughs> rocks and clay. You can't grow in the ground. It's impossible. All these things. I actually, and I have a very dear friend as well, who she tested it. And she just, we both have been like, yeah, okay. And we've had success. Um... I try to tell people that clay is not the enemy. And I actually found out during the permaculture design course and doing more things that I actually don't have a lot of clay. It is sand. Um, so if you could just touch on why is clay not the enemy? Um, and we're, it is beneficial because um, people just automatically are writing off of our actual soil and we're everything is they'll do it in beds or in pots and then they neglect all of the rest of their land because of it yeah yeah losing all that uh, great natural flavor and such in your food so what's what's really happening is um, when you've got that mineral material the bacteria and fungi chew on that with their enzymes and they'll actually release the sand, the silt, and the clay particles into the rest of the soil, or dirt, as may, case may be, if you don't have the organisms. If you don't have the organisms, how can you get any of those nutrients back into solution, back into the liquid part that your plant can possibly take up? You, you have no way of renewing that material which means after you know a few years of um, watching your water run downhill and the leachate pulling all of the uh, nutrients out of your soil, taking all the soluble nutrients with it, your plants are going to be in a bad case. And so, okay, you're going to have to use inorganic fertilizers and all those things. So we want to make certain that um, we've got the organisms, we've got the organic matter, and again, with the residue on the surface of the soil, that's where the food is, is coming from, plus all the exudates from those root systems. So you um, 
when you're looking at how much sand, silt, or clay do I um, do I have, and oh, that clay, that's bad stuff. Well, someone's hoodwinked you into thinking that that was clay when in fact it was sand. The clay and sand and silt, the three different components of um, the mineral part of your plant um, and the difference between those different parts. Um, clay is the size of a bacterium. Uh, silt particle is about the size of a red blood cell. Well, sand, you know, you can see it with your eyes. Pretty small, but you, nevertheless, you can actually see it. And actually, I'd want to try to, you know, get a few more enzymes on that piece of sand and break it down a little bit more. So that would be even more nutrients being released out into the soil in a form that the bacterium fungi can um, grab and put inside their bodies that can be released by the predators, predators of those <laughs> organisms when, um, you know, when the uh, predator-prey interaction is going on and you're feeding your plant get instantaneously everything at once. So... Do you need to be really worried about how much sand, silt, and clay you've got? It, you know, if you're at least above 3% organic matter, no, you don't. Uh, we've taken pure sand soils and invited the local, uh, you know, USDA soils people to come out and take a look at this field. And we want to know what's the, the uh, you know, is that sand, silt, and clay in here? How much of each? The kind of classic pyramid where you look at... Um, percent sand, percent silt, percent clay. And they'll say, that's pure sand. Okay, what can we grow on pure sand? Well, not really anything. You're going to have to put in so much fertilizer, and you're going to have so many problems here. You know, maybe maybe you should just grow prairie grass for the first 25 years. Well, okay, thank you for your opinion. Now go away. So then we come along, we put in an application of the solid form of compost with all of the organisms in it. You must make certain that all of the organisms you need are in that compost because there's nothing left in that dirt. We've got to do that conversion. And so it, we tend generally put out something like uh, one, uh, one half to one ton of a really good compost goes down, so that's just the bare, um, you know, just a little bit that you're going to be throwing out on the surface of the soil, but then protect it either with um, a mulch of some kind. What I like best is because it, it gets to be kind of free um, after you've gotten it successfully installed. I want to take a ground cover seed and mix like 20 different kinds of ground covers that don't get up more than you know maybe a, an inch or two or three depending on what plant you're growing um, you know how tall can that um, that uh, ground cover be well most of the time the, you know your plants are going to grow so fast all of our, our crop plants grow so fast that they grow above in shade that um, uh, uh, plant material that's underneath them so not going to be harmful it's not going to slow down there's always all this uh you know oh no if you put another plant in the system it's going to steal nutrients away from your plant no it's not 
that's why we got mycorrhizal fungi. Uh, you want to make the micro, make certain the mycorrhizal fungi are connecting all of the roots in your field, so that all of the plants have the same amount of nutrients in their bodies. And if they don't have enough, they're going to be talking to the bacteria and fungi to make the enzymes to pull more ni nitrogen or phosphorus or sulfur off those um, sand silts and clays into their bodies and then it gets released by the predators and now your plant has everything it needs. Make sure that that's going on all over your field. You can be checking anytime you want if you've got a microscope and we train people to use microscopes. So have I have I touched on everything you wanted me to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that um, you know that that was my main thing with moving here. They'll really intimidate people and I'm seeing it happen all over about, well, it's so compacted, it's this or it's that. And even in um, the PDC, when, when you take that course, they encourage you to plant some of those things that just go real deep, just to get the roots real deep. And so I'm always trying to encourage people um, to, yes, you know, build up, but really focus on, like, what you're doing instead of just throwing any which way and why at it and hoping for the best. Yep. It's um, also the case where, um, you know, when if you've already got compaction, when you plant into that, you want to put, a like, a few drops of a, a really good compost extract. All the organisms, really good food in there for the microorganisms to grow on. And the seed, as it starts to germinate, puts out a massive amount of, nutrient uh, of uh, exudate to feed the bacteria and fungi that are helping it get all the nutrients it needs. So we've got to have that already started. You want, you want the, um, um, all the different kinds of predators. You want all the different diversity of fungi. You want the diversity of bacteria. And when we're making compost, what we need to do is have like 10% um, high nitrogen, 30% green, and 60% woody. You want a couple of different kinds of woody at the least. Uh, you want a couple of different kinds of um, greens and lots of different kinds of high nitrogen if you possibly can. You'll just get more and more diversity within your compost. We don't want you going outside of your biome. You want to stay in those boundaries where Mother Nature has done all the work for the last, you know, 3.5 billion years to make certain that all these bacteria and fungi, protozoa, nematodes are selected to be there. And now you've got all those different species, you know, and it probably is going to take you some around, somewhere around uh, 5 to 25 years in order to pull out all the different species of bacteria and fungi and protozoa and nematodes, microarthropods, etc., 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 you want the maximum diversity, so it doesn't matter if it hasn't rained for 25 days, or it rained yesterday and it was torrential, or you know, all the different combinations of weather and temperature and climate can select for these organisms, and now you've got them all. It doesn't matter what the temperature is doing. It doesn't matter what the, uh, you know, what's going on out there in your own climate 
so you always have those organisms that will be doing all of these jobs for you so you don't have to work so hard how many of you would like to be able to just dap sit home and have a mint julep or two uh, right before dinner and in, and uh, don't have to work that gall darn hard yes you're going to have to work a little bit in the springtime to plant your seeds in the ground but you only have to plant them in the ground with a little bit of the really good biology going in on top of them. We're starting to work with growers that are making up their own inoculum. And time and time and time again, we see that the only place that they're really getting the benefit for those uh, mixes of bacteria and fungi, the different species of bacteria and fungi, is when you go get them from your own biome. Don't be going to California and try to, you know, bring back uh, some jugs in a bug. Or, no, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) bugs in a jug. (laughs) You can see the respect I have for them. Um, So we want to, you don't want to be, you don't need to do that. You leave them in California where they belong and where they're used to the climate already. They don't have a problem in, um, in California, but think about you if you lived in california and you came to uh you know missouri uh you out, out where you live uh that's kind of a shock on their systems they're they're just not used to that much water you get you guys get so much more water oh um, yeah <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's it's crazy we weren't even supposed to get rain yesterday and we ended up getting you know a couple of inches at my house and it was just absolutely miserable with like 45 mile an hour wind gusts (laughs) so it it came out of nowhere you know and uh this is a hot topic online right now i mean today alone i can tell you i've seen minimum of six posts talking about it's time to buy compost how do i know if the compost is bad where am i supposed to be looking at it and it was a whole thing this last season because people got a bunch of quote-unquote bad compost because it was sprayed and all their plants died um so i don't buy any compost at all i try to just do what i have here with whatever's native and then we have um you know livestock animals and i did like the deep bedding and i tried to put worms in my beds from you know those kind of things and so i'm trying to go that angle um, and so that's, that's kind of what you're, what you're saying, you know, about this is why, cause everybody's trying to just do too much. <laughs> trying to do too yeah. much. You want to build it slowly. If, I mean, if, if you can do it fast, great, but it's still, it's a process that's going to take a couple of years. Uh, in the first year we can get you where, uh, to a place where, you don't have to use any pesticides. You don't need inorganic fertilizers. That's just not necessary. Well, if you want to prove it to yourself, do part of a uh, of a row without the biology, um, and then you know maybe another part of that where you're gonna be doing a, a chemical approach, and then another portion of that row where you're putting in the biology, and you know just treat them all the same from that point on and see which one does the best. Uh, if you want to do the total, the typical chemical approach where you've got to be putting things in every week, uh, well then remember to do something to help the organisms where you've got the biology 
make sure that you put on a, a little bit of a spritz of a um, compost tea or uh, uh, maybe a little bit. If you see looking through your microscope that your bacteria aren't keeping uh, ahead of the uh, fungi, then you can make a little compost, take a little compost, mix it with water, and then sprinkle that on the place that biology isn't working out. So there's lots of ways, um, you know, all of this interaction, there's, there's um, easy ways to um, determine what the, your own biology is in, in your soil. So it doesn't take long. It usually takes about a, a, a day working with somebody to teach them how to use the microscopes. They're not highfalutin, fancy microscopes. We do not do electron microscopy. You, you don't have enough money um, to uh, use in, or you know, sending samples into a lab that's going to look at them through um, um, electron microscopy. You just need a simple light microscope that's got an Abbey condenser at the bottom and a, a, just a, a knob that you can move back and forth to shadow. Increase the um, contrast between the organisms and their background. And it's uh, really quite easy to do. So don't be afraid. Come and on I, and have fun with us. I think that, uh, didn't you say there was... There were some around two hundred, two hundred fifty dollars, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Although you know, it's probably going to go up because you know, look at what's going on with our economy and stuff. Right. Uh, right. Right. That's well, true. Let me suggest to you that you want to buy your microscope now because it's only going to get more and more expensive. So, or if you can find something um, that's. You know, used microscopes. Microscopes don't lose their um, their. You know, they they stay the same price forever and ever and ever, uh, because you can't really. I mean, you would have to run over your microscope in a pickup truck, in order <laughs> to really cause a damage. So, yeah, you can break the objectives, you can break the eyepieces, but that doesn't cost the whole um, microscope. So, yeah, common. Uh, learn about what we do and how easy it is really to make compost. Uh, when we make compost, um, we only have to monitor it for temperature for approximately uh, 21 days. Um, the part that you got to be doing and be taking the temperatures every day is in the day six to day 10, somewhere in there. You'll go through all the heating cycle where you kill all the human pathogens, the plant pathogens, the root feeding nematodes, the uh, bad microarthropods, because all of those bad guys, and I have some of my friends that cringe every time I say bad guys, um, <laughs> the bad guys and the good guys, Elaine, that's not scientific enough. Um, it gets the idea across. It makes it understandable by everyone what we're talking about. You don't want any of the disease causers. Disease causers can typically be controlled by having really high temperatures for a limited period of time, three days at 131 or two days at 145 or one day at 165. And you will start to deal with all of the diseases and pests in that pile. Um, so we like to have you come um, and watch, well, 
everything's done virtually. You stay at home, you watch the slides, but then, it's not slides, it's the films, um, the, you want to be outside making your compost yourself, finding out what all the oopses and the, well, okay, now I understand why you said not to overload with too much sugar. Bacteria love sugar. And they are going to use that sugar up so fast that you can't keep your compost pile aerobic. Your pile starts to stink. And the things that cause those things are horrendous. You do not want to be putting your fingers into that pile when it smells like that. Plus, you know, it's going to be two, two or three days that your hand gets to smell really bad. <laughs> um, so instead, keep it aerobic. All plants in terrestrial systems are obligately aerobic. That means they can't live in low oxygen concentration places. So we've got to keep that oxygen moving through the soil. And so you can see why I'm so concerned about you understanding that you've got the bacteria and the fungi, the protozoa and nematodes, all the other things in the soil that use those air passageways and hallways to be moving along and keeping the air flowing, keeping the water infiltrating into your soil. Don't let there be a compost, uh, a compacted layer uh, in your, in your, in your uh, soil. And most people have this, you know, I'm sure you've all been told that you know, root systems of, of plants like trees and corn and all of our major crops only go down maybe uh, three or four inches and then because of the compaction they've got to go sideways they're going to be you know be fighting each other their neighbor and that means none of those plants are going to be healthy they're all going to be susceptible to diseases and pests and problems so how does mother nature do this well she makes sure that there's plenty of um you know well-structured soil so the root systems can move rapidly down into the soil when you look at a corn plant, if it's a truly um, healthy corn plant, how far down does the root system on that plant go? 12 to 15 feet, not inches, feet. When we start looking at your orchard trees, should all those roots be up there on the top, on the surface of your um, soil? Well, it's not soil if that's where all your roots are. So you've got to you know, dig down and look at, well, you hit the compaction layer right about six inches or something. You're forcing your plants to live in a really limited place and you're going to run out of food. You've got to get those organisms building the, that soil. How far down can the roots of an apple tree go? Yeah, it's like 50 feet. It's, it's not... Half, an, half a foot or it's not three feet and it's the damage that we have done to our soils that we're dealing with situations like that that people can convince you that oh you know your plants are not looking very good we got to dump a whole lot of inorganic fertilizer out here so your plants will grow and lo and behold they start growing but they're not healthy they have not gotten full balance of everything that they need. And so you're going to be dealing with pests and diseases and problem organisms a whole entire lifetime of that plant. You've got to make certain 
that we build the structure going down into the soil so you don't have to work that hard to make your plants um, highly productive and taste really good because it's got all the nutrients in it that they're supposed to be there. A tomato doesn't taste like a tomato unless it's got all the nutrients that it requires. You get some scuzzy little, runny little, light-colored tomatoes, and, you know, you're not going to have a good time drink, eating that. No. I, I cannot imagine, because I've never seen it, but I cannot imagine the harvest off of an apple tree with 50-foot roots. You know, I'm a, I, I just imagine that would just be abundance that no one has been able to see. Just plain and simple, they just haven't because just too many years have gone on with people just repeatedly abusing the soil. And I, I love now where more people are asking these questions, looking at these things and kind of waking up to that. But then it's like, you know, we are all learning it, and now, you know, we've got to really push that into the kids, all those things, and pass all that down, because it is, I saw a documentary, and um, I'm curious your take on it, but I saw a documentary that was, th I think it's three years old now, and they said we only had 50 years, 50 seasons of topsoil left. And for whatever reason, that really resonated with me. I mean, to just think my son will run out of space to grow food. It'll just, it'll just be gone. Um, and so that was really crazy to me. There's a, it's like when we work with um, soil, um, bringing the biology back into that soil, we can uh, sequester 100% um, more carbon in that soil using the biology than in any of their toxic chemical um, systems. You know, we don't need to have strange and uh, very expensive and this soil destroying uh, materials. We don't need any of that because if we're going, if we have improved um, carbon sequestration by a hundred percent over what we're talking about now in soil of, you know, maybe uh, 10 mil equipment equivalents of carbon dioxide being uh, produced per 37 uh, a foot and a half depth um, over a year when we can take that to a um, hundred mil equivalents of, of carbon dioxide per year per the top 24 the um, foot and a half sorry in a year but wait a minute, don't you have roots that are going down beyond that three, that foot and a half distance? So yeah, we've, there are roots, there's probably as many roots in that layer as there is in the top layer. Well, how about the third layer down? How about the fourth? How about the fifth? And so how much carbon for this one tree are you, um, um, you know, uh, putting back into the ground? How, how much you know, we don't need to be worried about if people would just understand compost and getting the biology back into the soil, we wouldn't have a problem with carbon sequestration. It would all be back in the soil from whence it came. And people just don't believe that it's that simple. In six years, we could get 
all of the elevated CO2 in the atmosphere back into the soil. And then we'd start paying everybody for doing more digging. <laughs> you, you went too far. You've got to, you know, okay. So we got to get there. we got to reach that goalpost of getting ever, that elevated CO2 out of the atmosphere. We, we can't be allowing methane to be occurring. And I always have to laugh when people say, oh, cows produce so much methane. No, they don't. They don't source out any methane if you've got the right organisms in their digestive system. Where do all the organisms in their digestive system come from? From the food they're eating. And if what they're eating has been destroyed, the biology on the surface of that food has been completely destroyed by toxic chemicals, by the use of inorganic fertilizers, by the fact that the plant is weak and unhealthy and incapable of helping your plant, your animals out, well, of course they're going to be making methane. We're not giving them what they need. The plants that they're consuming need that um, biological nutrient cycling, all these other benefits. How about you? Do you need these organisms in your digestive system? You know what we've, what's recently been discovered is that we have all these little micro threads of plastic in all of the um, dirt and uh, that we're growing plants in. Um, there's nothing decomposing those little plastic uh, threads. And so when you eat something that still has some of those threads on the outside, like an apple or a carrot or a beet, it absolutely reams your esophagus, your uh, intestines, and your um, GI tract in general. And so now you've got all these um, slices in your um, digestive tract that allows all these bacteria into your bloodstream and so you're tired you can't get enough sleep you're very um well it, you know i'm, I'm scared I, sorry i'm scaring people i'm sure so you might want to <laughs> probably probably not because most of the people are listening to me and i'm always talking about something wild something off the wall and you know people will uh, some people will say I'm some type of conspiracy theorist. Some people will say that I'm in the clouds. Some people say that I'm irrational. But at the end of the day, um, there's proof that backs this up. I mean, this is not something that I just pulled out of the clouds. The research is there. People just don't want to do it. So that's really what it is. But um, I know that a lot of people listening are beyond first-time gardeners. You know, they're they're just this is the year that they're even going to attempt to look at a plant or you know these kind of things and so then when you talk about um you know 60 percent woody uh or you know 30 percent green you know nitrogen there are people who have been just watching youtube and so they just throw and i love rabbit manure but they just throw rabbit manure at everything and then that's just that's just it you know nobody is really talking about what is Woody? What is green? To get some examples, or do you have some resources so people can look at this list and say, "Okay, I have these things on my property. Let me get a pile going." Yeah. So um, 
there we've uh, published a number of articles on how to do composting. What's the, what are the recipes? Uh, most people find it easier to um, have somebody demonstrating what you're actually doing. So you get the um, foundation courses. The uh, second uh, foundation class is uh, all about um, making compost. Uh, what what are the starting materials that you need to look for? You can't be pulling in things that have a huge amount of pesticide or inorganic fertilizer used to grow them because all of those toxic things are all over the roots and um, the surface of the plant. You need to probably grow a little bit of your own or go to the grocery store and uh, get um, waste material from people that are trying to find a place to deal with them so it doesn't go into the landfill. Um, yeah, so we've, we need to do so many things to catch up and start making Mother Nature happy to have us around. Yeah, for a while. <laughs> or she's going she's gonna to take back over. <laughs> well, right, and she, you know, she sent the, you know, when we started going the wrong direction, she sent a few diseases not too bad, and you got to pay attention to that because if you ignore Mother Nature, she's going to make it ten times worse the next time around. You continue to annoy her, she will, well, that's what we're looking at in our farmland, where you can't grow, um, chemically you can't grow anything that has high amounts of nutrition. You'd have to paint it on if you uh, were going to manage to get a high enough concentration of most of the nutrients that you need. So what's Mother Nature's next more nasty message that she's going to be sending to us? Look at the weather that we're having. And it just gets worse every year. Yeah. So when, yeah. when will we learn to do what nature says, follow nature's example, and then you don't have to deal with all of these horrors? I, uh, I will say that I have absolutely loved this chat and listening and absorbing and... Um, you know, I, I always watch everything. I get email blasts that tell me when there's going to be a seminar, there's going to be talking. I'm always in everything. And I'll include links to everything in the description so that everybody watching can get on. There's a Facebook, there's a website. I mean, it's just never ending. So I'll get all that to them. But I hope people take away, just think about this, everyone listening. If you have the balance in your soil... Just, just close your eyes and imagine this. You have a balance in your soil, and you have implemented the permaculture practices as well for your closed-loop systems, and you have put out all these seeds and all these deep-rooted things, and you know your asparagus and your comfrey, and you've got all these things, and you've got all of this out here. Just imagine the abundance. You would, there would be no physical way if you had a true food forest with these principles for your family to consume all that food, there would be no way for you to eat all of those things when you're planting five acres just for you. You know, there, there's just no way. So then by default, having a healthy ecosystem, not only are you serving yourself you're, and you're serving the earth, but inadvertently... You've also given yourself some income because you have excess nutrient-rich food, cuttings, 
propagating plants or possibly um, if you go to the website and learn all about um, the foundations courses the consulting the lab tech you could have a very thriving proper compost business and help farmers around your area to do the same so do you have anything closing thoughts that you really hope people take away yeah, just the importance of of changing our ways and starting to work with the earth, with nature, um, instead of being so arrogant and uh, you know, not believing that we can't destroy ourselves. We're very clearly doing that, and I really don't want to live in that world. I don't want my grandchildren to live in that world, but... If we're going. We're still going that way. When will people really start to listen and understand? It's frightening, really. Yes, and hopefully through this podcast, also through you know Mary's Heirloom Seeds is a sponsor of the podcast. She really encourages um, the heirloom seeds, trying to deal with your soil. Also, she is encouraging you know pollinators. She was giving out uh, wildflower seeds. She was doing all these things. Back companies that back you that want to do well and see that the earth is in trouble and it is up to us the farmers the homesteaders the growers the preppers the self-sufficiency people all of these people coupled with all this research and the scientists and everything that's going on to spread the word and get it done so Everyone go to the website, check that out, see what can be done, see what you can do. They do have a payment plan option if you're able. Um, It is an investment, and it is worth it. Think about the return on your investment that you will be getting. I know I'll be doing um, the courses as soon as I'm able, and I encourage you all as well. So I really appreciate your time today. That was, thank you so much. Well, it's really important to get the message out to everybody. Um, so that we start seeing uh, you know, the wave reversing itself and uh, maybe we will all, our grandchildren, will have a great life. That, that's, that's all we can hope for. <laughs> yep.